0: I'd now like to invite Rob Multitasking to come and read our passage to us this morning. As we we continue our study on um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're looking at how we can be, well, we can live more using our gifts and being part of the body of Christ. So we're going to be reading from Ephesians this morning.
1: The reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at the first verse. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work.
0: Thank you, Rob. when I, just after I had James, our eldest child, who's now eight, but just after he was born, I thought it would be a good idea to join a reading group. That's such a good time, isn't it? Because you have plenty of time and your mind's just in the right place to read a book. Well, I thought it would be a good idea to join a reading group. I'd never been in a reading group before. Wasn't really sure what reading groups did. I thought that when you went to a reading group, you just sat and drank a little bit of wine and had a chat and occasionally looked at the book. Turns out, this reading group was a little bit more serious than that. And we took it in turns to host. And when we hosted the reading group, we had to lead the discussion on the book that we'd read. Now, what you need to know is that I, I never really finish books. I read a little bit and I think, oh, this is really good. And then I put it down and, well, then it's just there. Um, so this, you know, this reading group came to my house had to host it, and up until then, I'd been all right, because I'd sort of got away by bluffing my way through. I'd, I'd read enough to know, sort of get the gist of the story, and I joined in the conversation a little bit. Well, this, this is a spoiler alert, by the way, in case you haven't read this book, but we were reading the book called One Day. I don't know whether you've seen the film, it's become a film, or you've read the book. Oh dear, Well, I'm just going to spoil it for all of you. It's a story about two people, Emma and Dexter, and they first meet on the 15th of July in 1988. And they get on really well, but they're just friends. And then every year after that, on that day, 15th of July, they meet up. And you sort of see through the book the things that are happening in their lives. They get married, and, and then they get divorced, and you know lots of things. Like and they have children. And they keep meeting up. And there's this sort of tension between them. And then eventually, one day, I think uh, quite one day, quite a few years later they decide that actually the thing they've been searching for in life is each other and they get together I know and they get together it's wonderful now I'd not read the whole book but I'd read a fair chunk of it because I was leading the discussion and I thought well I need to sort of know and I was in the kitchen making the teas and coffee and Kylie, the old uh, vicar of the Anglican Church, was in the reading group as well. In fact, she persuaded me to join it. Um, And she was in the kitchen and I went, oh, it's really good, isn't it? I was so happy that they, you know, they they get together. And and she was looking at me really confused and I said, what? And she went, you do know, Kate, that she tragically gets killed in the final pages? And I'm like, who knew? (laughs) Thanks for telling me that changes the whole of our discussion. Well, it was good to have a heads up, you know, because up until then, I got away with only reading two-thirds of a book <laughs> and bluffing my way through. But there came a point, that was the point, when only reading two-thirds or slightly less just wasn't going to be enough. In fact, it was going to change the whole story completely in my mind. Because to get a proper understanding of what was going on and how things were to come about required me to read the whole thing and to digest it entirely. And you know, in a similar way, believe it or not, this passage in the middle of the letter to the Ephesians, just like any other passage in the Bible, I guess, is all about understanding things in their entirety. It's very easy when we read the Bible or read verses in the Bible to just get the gist of what is being said, or read a couple of passages that just back up what we've been thinking and we think, oh yes, yeah, see, it's in the Bible, there you go. But here, Paul is at pains to paint the whole picture, not just a dream of what could happen if we live for Christ, or a glimpse of what life should be like, but a picture of how the church should work, and the reason that it should work in that way. And you know, I love passages like this because they always begin in a really positive way, even this one, which was probably written by Paul when he was in prison in Rome, begin with him urging those in the church in Ephesus to live a life worthy, worthy of the calling they have received. Or if you like, it begins with him urging those in the church to live a life that is completely loyal to Jesus, putting him above and beyond all things and all people. And in doing this, he's calling those in the church to behave in a certain way. He's calling them to be completely humble, to be completely gentle, to be patient, to be loving, and above all, above everything, to be united as the people of God. Because as we mentioned last week, if you're in the passage in 1 Corinthians, this is how the followers of God and therefore the Church of Christ work. As Paul says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to one hope. When you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So if we're to live as those following Jesus or if we're to live up to this calling, Paul says, then we're to live in this way. We are to live as people who are humble, as people who are gentle, as people who are patient, as people who are loving, people who are totally united together. Because this is how the God who called us lives, and we're his children. And you know, when I read this passage, when I look at these opening verses, I think, yes, yes, I like this. Yes, I want to be like God. I want to be gentle. I want to be humble. I want to be loving. I want to be patient. I want to be one body, called to one hope, with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Or I want to become mature, if you like, as Paul sums it up in verse 13. Because being like this sounds good. It sounds good to me. It sounds harmonious. I'm attracted to this way of life, to living maturely as a follower of Jesus. But then if I stop reading there, after those few verses, if I just get a glimpse of this mature Christian life that God wants for me, although it looks good, although it's desirable and it's what I want to aim for, it also seems so very hard to attain. Because even though these things are attractive to me, even though becoming mature in God and being fully alive like Jesus sounds wonderful, being gentle and humble and loving and patient, well, they're sort of things that time and time again However hard I try, they just slip through my fingers until instead of feeling like I'm maturing and growing and becoming more alive and more like Jesus, I feel like an infant tossed back and forth by the waves, by the things that come upon me in life, by the things that challenge me and upset me and discourage me and make me angry. I feel more like a boat that's blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people. By the things that I'm drawn to, that I suddenly think are good or are new or an exciting. Things that attract my attention and overtake my desires until I realise that once again, I have not been gentle. I have not been loving. I have not been humble. I have not been patient. I'm not totally united with those who are seeking to live the same way, the same kind of life. I'm not on the road to maturity, as I hoped I would be, but instead I'm treading water at best, so that if I stopped reading at the end of that first paragraph, or if Paul had stopped writing then, I would be really excited by the idea of becoming mature in Christ, but totally defeated by my attempts to achieve it. But Paul doesn't stop there. And instead, we read on, this time, about the work of Christ, who Paul describes here as descending to the lower earthly regions. Sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? Or if you like, we read about the work of Jesus Christ who came to earth as a human being. And the things that he did here, how he lived how he lived his life, how he experienced all that we experience and more, how he died on a cross, how he rose again, how, as Paul puts it in this passage, he then ascended higher than all the heavens so that we might become fully alive in him. We read on in this passage about the story of Jesus and we're encouraged when we read it because we see what Jesus has done for us. We remember that as human beings we are forgiven. We're made new, we're made whole. Death is defeated, there is new life that can be had. We catch a glimpse, if you like, of the life that Paul is urging us to live in the first few verses through Jesus. A life that is worthy of what Jesus has done for us. A mature life. Which is great. It's encouraging. But again, it doesn't actually enable us to live this life in the everyday. So that if we stop reading there, at the death and resurrection of Jesus, we may be excited, we may be encouraged, we may now have more of a desire to live up to what God has done for us. But we'd still struggle to do it. We'd still struggle to be mature, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be loving, to be united. We may have a hope to look forward to, and we may be encouraged to try our very best to live up to this, but we would still struggle to live this new life in the here and now. You know, during the Christmas holidays, I took James to McDonald's. This is the highlight of such an exciting life. He'd been, you know, badgering me. He'd started going to McDonald's with his friends and when he went out with their families. And we've not taken us to McDonald's before, and uh, he'd oh, mummy, I'd really love to go. Will you take me? Can it be at a special time? And I was like, oh, say that. Yes, of course. So I arranged to go to McDonald's. And I have to tell you, I haven't been to McDonald's for like 20 years. And when I went into McDonald's when I was younger, you went up to the counter and there was like about a choice of four things. And you went, oh, I'll have a Big Mac or I'll have a filet of fish or whatever you want. It'd been ages. And James was telling me all these things about McDonald's. He was saying, it's so exciting, Mommy. They have, like, like sort of iPad things in there. And I'm like, what? Don't you just go and eat food? And, you know, you go and you choose all these things. And I'm like, oh, actually, I got quite excited. I was thinking, actually, it does sound quite good. So I was quite excited. And we we went there. We got dropped off by Simon because he won't go anywhere near McDonald's. And we walked in and... I was like a bit bamboozled because it's just like completely different. And we walked up to this massive screen. It's like a sort of sign, advertising sign that you have in the street, but it was all, you know, interactive. And Jane said, this is where you order, mummy. And then he went and sat down at one of the iPad things playing games. And I'm like, so I tried to, you know, look like I knew what I was doing. And I'm pressing all these things for life of me. I didn't have a clue what to do. Why can't I speak to someone? I managed to order myself some fries. I couldn't get anything else. And I ordered James a a burger and fries. A happy meal. I did a happy meal and I got myself some fries. That was it. I was starving. And then it prints out an order. And I thought, what do I do with it? so there was two counters so I picked one, fortunately got the right one handed it over and she said oh here you are, would you like any sauces and I remember there being a bit sweet and sour so I said oh some sweet and sour, do you still do that she looked at me a bit weird, gave me some and then I said and some ketchup and she was like, and I said D- did you do ketchup, she, and the man came behind and went yes we have ketchup, gave it to me and then I took all this, and then I realised that you have like a ketchup counter you don't order ketchup, you go to the ketchup and you squeeze it all out. Who knew? Anyway, we sat down and we had a wonderful time. But I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and James was absolutely no help whatsoever. And you know, even though he told me all about it and even though he you know made it sound really exciting and I was very excited, I still didn't have any ability to function in this new setting. Which is why in this passage, Paul is at pains to continue to reveal the full story of Jesus Christ, telling his readers that when Jesus ascended, when he rose again and ascended into heaven, he didn't just then go and sit down and play on the iPad, leaving us to try and figure out exactly what we should do and how we should live. Instead, he came and accompanied us through his Holy Spirit. He gave gifts. To his people, or as the message Bible says, he handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts, so that people could be enabled to live the life that he desired. Not simply glimpse it and what it would be like one day, or struggle to live it, really wanting to, but not able to attain it, but actually become mature followers who grow and change and develop. And to the church, to the early church and also churches today, he didn't just give gifts to people, he also gave gifts of people. As Paul says here, he gave the gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, those who were needed to enable the young church to grow and develop. Not given so that they could do everything, but given to equip all the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up as a whole. Or if you like, gifts of people given so that each of us would recognise our own gifts and use them to become mature. So that the story of Christ and the story of his church would not end with his ascension, not just be glimpsed yet impossible to attain, but would be read, understood and realised in its entirety by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, when I look at this passage, I sometimes feel today that just as I never finish a book, especially when I'm in book club, we as a church of God can be guilty of missing out bits of our story as well. It's not that we don't know that Jesus died, and it's not that we don't know that Jesus rose again, and that one day he will come back. It's just that sometimes we act as if we only get the gist of that story rather than recognising that together we've been given the resources here and now to live that out in the everyday. And it's not just the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers who are called to live this story out. It's not just those, if you like, who have official roles within the church, but it's all of us. It's all of us. And that The gift of people was given only that each of us might recognise our own gifts. Step into our own roles and use the power that God has given us to become mature believers in him. Not tossed back and forth, not blown here and there, not blaming others because we're not mature, but instead growing up together as we recognise and use the gifts that God has given us until instead of seeking maturity and becoming disheartened because we can never get there, we actually become mature. We speak the truth in love so that the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love and each does its part. And we know, then, that when we do this, When we live out the whole story, not believing that Jesus came so we could catch a glimpse of what life will be like, and not coming to church so that others can encourage us to be mature, but instead knowing that Jesus has given each and every one of us the gifts that we need, when we do this, we can not only glimpse life, but we can actually live it. We can be humble. We can be gentle. We can be patient. We can be loving. We can be mature people who are united together under the God who brought us into this story in the first place.